Welcome to the Good Life Central Oregon podcast, where we pursue the good life by helping you pursue yours. I want to thank Remax Revolution and Sisters for sponsoring this podcast. Remax is the number one real estate company in the world, and Remax Revolution and Sisters offers new solutions for better results. Go to ilovecentraloregon.com to find out more. So I want to say thank you to my next guest, uh, Greg Bridges of Eager Beaver Surf Company uh, out here uh, near Bend, Oregon. Uh, interesting thing on the way in, uh, as I'm driving to his house, I'm passing by a ton of farmland with uh, cows, chickens, uh, even a stray paddleboard in the front of a farmhouse. And uh, here we are in open fields again with more chickens, and uh, and we're in his secret surfboard lair. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Greg, say hi to everyone. And Hello. Greg Bridges here. <laughs> and uh, tell us a bit more about your, your shop and your business. Well, um, a couple of years ago, I decided to start building um, stand-up paddle boards and surfboards, um, all out of wood, hollow core wooden boards, and um, have always... Um, you know, grew up surfing, so I decided I'd want to focus on something that I was good at and that I enjoy. And then I started teaching classes for COCC on building um, kayaks and canoes, and then I just naturally led into building boards. Interesting. So, um, so with my some of my research I've done, uh, luckily a lot of it was found on your website, which uh, we'll repeat this again. But what is your website? It's um, www.eagerbeaversurf.com. And. Uh, Luckily, some of the information I found on on your background, uh, it's funny, we were chatting before we uh, started this podcast, but um, we have a lot in common, um, even though it may have gone in different directions. I grew up in San Diego, moved to Orange County, and you grew up in Orange County, moved to San Diego for a little while. Yeah, spent my um, college days down there. Yeah, uh, likewise, just oppositely, but um, but uh, you, you're quite a, a waterman. Yep. Traveler. Yep. Uh, teacher, uh, business owner, mm-hmm. shaper. Yeah. Um, and and from our previous conversation, uh, soon to be a world traveler via sailboat. That's the plan, at least. That's, that's the plan. Let's see how I, it goes. I can't wait to dive into that story. We that might have to good. do a follow up uh, when you get back. Totally. Um, but uh, tell us about uh, growing up around the water and the environment that you learned all your water and, and uh, shaping uh, experiences. Yeah, I was lucky. Um, my, my dad was in the U.S. Army. He was an officer in the Army, and um, his terminal assignment for him was San Pedro, California. So he moved out to California with my mom. Um, she's English. Um, and ended up being a street from the beach in Huntington. Um, so I went to a little tiny school that was you know one street from the beach, for my elementary, my middle school was close by. High school, um, I had surf class in high school, so every morning I'd go down to the beach at 6:30, do zero period surfing, spend an hour, come back. Supposed to, you know, go home, take a shower. Ended up back, just staying out as late as I could and showing up to, you know, school in um, surf trunks and tank tops and flip flops, salty, sandy hair. Which is perfectly normal where you're from. Exactly, and I can attest yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, and just so I grew up surfing. Um, my junior year in high school, I surfed every day. So I, my goal was to hit 365 days in the water, and I did it. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice so, goal. I mean, it would just go out regardless of the conditions, go surf a couple waves, come back in. J- j- just to check it off your list for the day? Just to, Yeah, just to see if I could do it. And, you know, it was um, everything I did was all around um, surfing. So, What else did you do besides surfing? Um, Any other water activities? Yeah, I mean, I was a, um, a, a shore fisherman, so I'd walk along the beach, catch cor- corbina, corvina, perch, sargo, pargo, all the stuff along the beach. Um, paddled um, a little bit and um, had a kayak, um, would take it out in the water. Um, also, growing up in Southern California, sailing, people would go sailing. You know, we get on boats, and my fr- all my friends had boats, and we'd take it out, and we'd go fish all the time, mm-hmm. um, take trips to Catalina, you know, go over there, bring our bikes over there on the boats, you know, go over, stop, ride our bikes across, you know, have someone else drive the boat around, pick us up. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah. Well, down there, sailboats were like the third family car. Yeah, practically. totally. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah we... Uh, we spent enough. Well, I spent enough time in Orange County, a little over a decade, and got to do a little bit of that sort of uh-huh. stuff. But um, 
my my mind was elsewhere, but but I did get a little bit of surfing in, lifeguarded down Newport Beach. So I just, cool. it sounds like we have similar stories to share. Yeah, I mean, um, the, the, the whole reason I went to San Diego State was to have close access to Mexico. So we could just, I had a VW bus. My very first car was a yeah. 1970 VW bus, and we'd drive it down into Mexico, surf all along, you know, go down to K38s and K55s and mm-hmm. San Quentin and just surf and fish the whole entire time. Um, odd fact, I'm a high school teacher, but I've never been to a high school football game. They were always on Friday nights. Friday nights is when me and my buddies and pals would take off Baja and time. go Baja or... Um, you know, even in high school, we'd go up to um, Santa Barbara, hit Rincon, San Onofre, and go camping every weekend just to yep. go surf. Yeah. So, and for those of you who don't know, there are there are camping spots up and down the California coast, well, and even the the Oregon coast as yep. well. Since we're in Oregon, uh, let's give a little shout out to that. But uh, it, it is very very easy, even despite the sprawl down SoCal, to go camp and surf. Yes. Especially yeah. at Santa. Yeah. It's a great place. It's a great place, especially for if, if you're a longboarder and want to get an introduction to surfing. Mm-hmm. Sano is a place to be. Totally. Just just disregard the nuclear power plant just down the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did you get into um, shaping? Um, well, way back in middle school, um, I wanted to get my first surfboard. Realized, um, you know, uh, my parents were. Let's say, I don't want to say stingy, but they, they were, I had to work for everything I got. It was part of my dad's thing is, you know, if you want something, you have to work for it and um, get your work ethic up. And I'm, I thank him for that today because it's great because I work for everything that I have. And so I wanted a surfboard. And I didn't really have, a, um, have the money to buy one in middle school, so I started got a job. And then I went down to the local surf store um, who happened to be owned by one of my neighbors Started chatting with him, and next thing you know, I was sweeping up the floor in the shaping shack behind the place, and started to le- I learned how to shape a couple boards, um, starting around, right around in high school, and had been doing it ever since. So, uh, you know, that was my introduction to get a board was I had to build it myself because I couldn't afford the prices of what it was. So, interesting, interesting. I think a lot of a lot of kids just went down to the local pawn shop down there, or mm-hmm. or in my case, my my uncle had an old board that he didn't use anymore and I inherited it and mm-hmm. I still actually have my original surfboard at my parents house it's really? still there. I'm going to bring it up here one of these days really yeah. wow um, then uh, at what point did you leave California and move up here um, my wife and I decided we had been coming up here to Central Oregon to um, you know go climb the Smith Rock mountain bike do all the stuff fun stuff that Central Oregon has and we finally just said wow, look at the traffic where we were and said, let's get out of here. And then we moved up here in 2002, no, sorry, 2004. So it's been 10 years ago that we moved up here and decided just to buy a little ranch out in the the sticks in the middle of nowhere. You know, thought, oh, we'll live out in Tumalo. It'll be nice and quiet. And it has been. So it's been really good. But but going from uh, the ocean and the sprawl of Southern California to we're nowhere near the coast. The waves yeah. really stink in Central Oregon. They uh, do. <laughs> um, how did you um, How did you arrive at the decision of Central Oregon of all places? Um, well, we had a young daughter. She was two, and we decided, you know, let's move somewhere. And as much as I love the ocean, um, you know, I'd grown up there, done everything, just wanted to try something a little bit different, and found Bend, Oregon, and we're just like, this is the place. It has everything except surf. And then I found a couple spots where you could surf in the irrigation canals. Yeah. So kind of get my fix that way. Or, you know, it's three hours to the coast. You can be there in three hours and, you know, um, camp, surf, go, you know, maybe once uh, every six weeks or so. Um, my daughter's a surfer, so we can go out there and mess around. Nice. I've, I've actually found some videos. I'll, I'll try and put this on the uh, on the uh, blog post for this, but um, uh, videos of canal surfing in Central yes. Oregon. and. It's not quite the same thing, but it's not. But I, I'd be certain, I'd certainly willing to try it out. And, I mean, it, it beats the alternative. Yeah, the, not well, at all. Well, the good news is, is by next year, hopefully, we'll have that down at the Colorado Street Dam when that um, when the Colorado Spillway is removed, and we'll have a standing surfing wave there. Oh, I didn't or, realize they were going to have a standing surfing wave there. I yeah, they'll they have doing a, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, they'll actually have a four wave uh, kind of play park. 
so that the I think it's the Ben Paddle Trail Alliance yeah. is the one in charge of that. Yeah, um, and again, I'll put a link to that for anyone interested cool. in seeing. But that's uh, they're putting in uh, planning on putting in a a, a huge water play park for mm-hmm. anyone stand up paddler, uh, raptor kayaker, mm-hmm. and obviously surfer as well. Yeah. But it's a thing that uh, it's happening at Ben because you, know, as like Greg said, there's everything here. But surf. But surf. But like you said, it's three hours away, which, okay, it's three hours. And you can't just go surf every day for 365 days a year. Totally. But unlike SoCal, three hours away actually takes three hours to get there. Three hours, yes. Yeah. And it's a beautiful, beautiful drive. It is great. Yeah. Um, uh, So then uh, you moved up here and you became a teacher. Were you a teacher down there as well? Yeah. um, I used to teach in Long Beach, taught in the the LBC, right down in... um, Snoop Dogg went to the elementary school that I taught at. So mm. I taught in a really, really kind of um, rough part of Long Beach, and it was an awesome experience. I was there for about eight at, or eight years. And then my wife and I, when we moved up here, um, I got hired to teach at Terrebonne, uh, the other part of the Redmond School District. Or we're, the, we're the southern part. The northern part of it is out at Terrebonne, out near Smith Rocks. And I was hired to teach middle school. So they were just opening up a middle school. They were taking their K-6 school and adding 7th and 8th. So they hired me as the seventh grade teacher, and I spent five years there. So do you teach all subjects? Um, yeah, at that time I did. Um, I taught. I have a um, like a self-contained license, and I taught um, all the classes there. But I specialize in science. The first year I was there, so me and the sixth grade teacher would swap um, my kids. F- um, I I'd take her kids for science, and she take mine for language arts, which worked out well because that's not my strong point. <laughs> gotcha. So. But you know, one would think uh, that you'd be a shop teacher because this is what you do. But now I am. Actually. Now you are yeah. a shop teacher as yes. well. Yes. <laughs> and where so. do you, and uh, do you want to say where you teach now? Or yeah, um, I teach at the Brown Education Center, and I run. Um, I teach all the alternative education students um, that we have there. We have about there's nine different programs underneath our building, and um, I mainly focus with um, three of them: um, the expulsion students, both middle and high school, and a program called Youth Build. And, and explain that, that student demographic a little bit better. I mean, what um, kind of students do you see? Alternative ed students. Um, you're looking at students who don't generally, um, they need to have their hands busy. They need to have something other than traditional high school or traditional middle school. You know, they, they, they want to do stuff. They want to see, um, if I had a dollar for every time a student asks me, when will I ever use this in my life? I'm a math teacher as well. And when will I ever use this? If I had a dollar, I'd be, I'd be retired now. Um, and to actually show them with hands-on projects that here's where you actually need to know this math. Here's why you need to know how to you know, do this. Here's why history is important. Here's why all those different subjects are important because you will use these later in life. And so. I've got the question in my head. Um, with, with these type of students, would you say that they're a little bit more of the underdog type of student or a troubled youth or they definitely are Um, when I started um, when I left the um, classroom in Terrebonne I became what was called an achievement coordinator and instructional coach and I was assigned to Brown High School for one year when it was still a high school and I went there to kind of help the teachers become better teachers and kind of help them look at how do we get all kids to learn Um, and on a whim I teach um, you know I build wooden kayaks and canoes at the time so I said, hey, why don't I teach a class um, and we, we could build a wooden canoe with these students. And then I'd you know, go through the whole plans of, you know, here's the raw lumber, here's the plans, here's what we have to do. You know, there's fiber composites in it, we have to do all these different things. Then afterwards, they were like, well, what are we going to do with it? And I said, well, why don't we raffle it off? I said, why don't we do a marketing plan? We'll include that in there. We'll sell off raffle tickets. And I said, you know, I could probably get all the, all the materials we need to donate it. And I, you know, used um, some of my connections with different people, got everything donated, and next thing you know, we had a, um, a canoe, and all the students went out and sold raffle tickets for it. Um, they worked different, um, like the sportsman show, all sorts of different places, and they ended up raising right around four four thousand dollars. And then the interesting part was afterwards, I told them when I, I was, we ended up giving all the money to the students in the form of scholarships to COCC or any school in in Oregon that they wanted to go. Um, but it was based on their grade in the class. So some of them got, you know, 1400 bucks. Some of them got, um, you know, 1000 Some of them got 600 depending on their level of involvement within mm-hmm. the class. And these were students that had never said, you know, they were never planning to go to college whatsoever. And so far, every one of them 
has used their scholarship and has gone, you know, some have gone, one went to an airline hospitality school in Portland, um, three of them went to COCC, um, did, you know, like material welding and stuff, classes that they never thought possible that they'd actually be able to do. One of them actually is a full-time welder now, and that was the start of it. And so you're seeing a a change of path in these students. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I mean I to put into, it mildly. Yeah. I mean, I am, I've run into some of these students afterwards and to see them and they're just like, wow, you know, they, they even thank me six years later. Like, thank you. I've, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a path now that I'm, you know, enjoying my life now. So in, would you consider that building that, uh, kayak kind of a virtual ground zero? Um, well, well, maybe. What, I mean, possibly. What other aspects are involved in that it, process? It might have just been the inspiration to say, you know, here's something you can do. You can take something from absolutely nothing and completely build something and make it fully functional and then be able to sell it off and make some money. I mean, some of them had didn't even have the concept of a canoe. Some of them had never even been in a canoe. That's one thing we did is after we finished it, we took it out and, you know, took them out paddling. And they were just mm-hmm. blown away that, ooh, people actually go down Central Oregon rivers in canoes. Mm-hmm. So it just it was just so foreign to them even growing up here. So Interesting. So what what is um, what is this process or I'm sorry, not the process, but what lessons are are these students learning from these concepts? I mean you kinda of touched on it, but but where do you see this going in the future for these students? Um, well, like currently now in my program, um, we had some woodshop tools at one of the old middle schools and we're kind of mothballed. So I contacted the principal at school and said, hey, can I get those tools from you and bring them over to my site? And they said, oh, no, none of them work. None of them are all broken. You know, they haven't been used since, you know, the late mid-90s. You know, they're just sitting there collecting dust. And I said, sure, I'll take them all. So we were able to take these tools um, and with the help of a couple of volunteers, I had the tools completely broken down into each individual piece. Certain kids were assigned to certain tools. They completely rebuilt them back to factory specs. And these are all things from like the mid-1940s to 50s old Delta um, equipment. Replaced all the bearings, replaced all the bushings, everything that needed to be replaced and rebuilt them so they're absolutely perfectly brand new. Most of the kids had never even realized that you could take something that's totally old, work with it, and fix it. You know, these were one one student um, came up with the analogy. He's like, "This is like me." You know, people just kind of have thrown me away. Figured, oh, I'll never amount to anything. And now, you know, he was able to rebuild something that was tossed away, and now it's per- perfectly functional. And it actually, he's you know turned some. It was a lathe, and he's turned some beautiful bowls on it. And now he's inspired and wants to go out and get his own lathe to do the same thing. And he was never planning to go to college. And I've kind of you know said, "Hey, you can do whatever you want. You can." If you find a certain path in life, you can take it. It's your choice. And so they are, you know, they're they're doing all right. Is this uh, more of a, a hands-on process or is it more of a metaphorical process that these kids are finding some some um, it, insight and inspiration? It's definitely a hands-on. It's definitely a hands-on pro- um, project. The majority, some of them do get that. Some of them figure it out, like, you know, they may make the transfer from, you know, the hands-on stuff to the philosophical piece afterwards. But they, they are learning a skill that they can then take out and use in the real world. Whether they, you know, most of them aren't going to go out and become professional tool restorators. I don't even think there is any. But they, you know, they'll be able to go out and, um, you know, find something that's old and fix it and make it usable. So rather than just throw it away. And, and you know, I, I don't mean to try to get uh, um, philosophical, but are these kids, um, are, are they learning about themselves or are they are they uh, are they building confidence are they uh, are they finding just a valuable skill that they didn't know they had no what do you think think I think they definitely are gaining some confidence because now that suddenly they can see that they are capable of doing things and different you know they're learning in different ways to go oh now I see why I need to be able to read something because in this technical manual I have to figure out where these parts are and you know we're measuring things with calipers down to the thousandth of an inch and they have to be able to figure out oh this is where we do use this math and they're starting to use some of the practical you know theoretical knowledge that they have been told is going to be important now they're actually having to use it and then you know talk about rounding the decimal places and why is it that we measure to the thousandth of an inch and it's kind of the real world applications of what they're what they were learning so what is this process of working with these students 
And, and to some degree, I, I can probably see, find some parallels with working with a blank piece of wood and turning it into a beautiful board. Mm-hmm. What, have, what have these taught you? Um, to never, ever like judge a book by its cover. There's times um, you know, where you can take um, a tree and cut it down, make some great, um, you, know, you think you're going to get some beautiful boards out of it, um, you know, wood, like raw wood, and next thing you know, you cut it open, and it's a totally different color than what you thought it was, mm. or a different grain pattern. And then suddenly you're like, you find the beauty in it, and then you figure out how you can use that, you know, to accent, you know, a piece of furniture you're building, or a surfboard you're building, or, you know, whatever you're using it for. So, Interesting. And, and same thing with the students? Yeah. I mean, some of these students, they've never had anybody to, you know, kind of go to bat for them. Um, they've always just been the ones that are kind of cast off, and now they're kind of seeing, oh, somebody does did pay attention to me, and I do have stuff to offer, and I am able to learn, and I am able to grow, and um, you know, that's a neat thing when you see the light turn on for some of them to go, oh, I can, you know, I can get myself out of wherever I'm at, or you know, it's by my choices I've learned, you know, to get out of the next situation by choosing to do something different. Uh, in a in a recent podcast I did with a friend of mine, Tate Metcalf, he's a uh the owner of Sisters Athletic Club, and and I believe he's the former uh, track coach for Mountain View, um, and was also uh, a high school coach for uh, a well-known athlete named Ashton Eden. And in uh, there, we talked about some of the high points for him were the students who excel that find themselves, um, that find a positive path, and then are propelled forward on that. And consequently, his low point was finding those students who just went off and just made a dumb kid mm-hmm. mistake, but that had a huge impact. They, they had to quit sports, and they were never able to fulfill their potential. Um, what do you think, dealing with the demographic of students that you have, what is the difference between a, not even a, just a kid, but anyone, the difference between a kid who is on a path that leads in the wrong direction and the path that leads in the right direction? Well, I mean the wrong direction for somebody might be the right, the right direction for somebody else too. So, um, the, I mean, I think I mean, one of the classes that I teach for my students, I do a whole unit on like finding happiness and seeing how can you be a, live a happy life. And, that you know, seems appropriate for this podcast. Yeah. I mean, once your once your basic needs are met, um, then everything else, you know, just you, it's your choices as to you know how things turn out. Kind of like Maslow's hierarchy. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and the majority of my students that I work with now, their basic needs are not being met, and once mm-hmm. they are, and they finally have like a you know a safe place to come to at school, um, they, you know, they get their breakfast and their lunch. They're able to feel secure in their environment. They might start taking risks, you know, academically once they realize, hey. I've never asked this question before, but I'm going to. And it, it's hard to get them to, to feel comfortable with asking a question when they don't know. So they don't look you know, like they're um, not so bright amongst their peers. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's the hardest thing to get out of them, that it's okay to ask questions when you don't know what to do. And if you, made a, if you make a mistake, it's all right. You, know, you learn from it, and you try to prevent it so it doesn't happen again. And, and uh, I'm going to murder this quote, I'm sure, but I've, I've uh, seen a quote... Um, where the path of success is riddled with failure after failure after failure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is this the same kind of examples that you teach your kids is be free? Yeah, just to kind of, you know, try. And if you get knocked down, get right back up and try again and keep going. You know, I mean, just keep trying and trying and trying. And once you quit, then you've lost. Yeah. And I always try and tell these kids that, you know, it's like I show up here every day. And I have kids that, you know, tell me to F off and die. And yeah. it happens, you know, weekly or sometimes mm-hmm. daily. And at the next day, they see him. I greet him in the morning. Hey, how's it going? And they're just like, you're not upset, upset with me? I said, no, that was you yesterday. Today's a new day. So just let's move on. It's, you know, we're here. Let's learn some math. Why not? You know, what's what's the worst that can happen? You might use it someday. So Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the, speaking of surfing, the successful surfer is the one who uh, has the, has or their, uh, the, yeah, I think the most successful surfer is the one who's out there having a good time. Yes. But, but of course, what we don't realize is that same surfer, whether pro or standing up for the first time, they've fallen a thousand, thousand times. Totally. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that would be a good metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was teaching. And then now you're building a surf board company. Yeah. <laughs> in the middle of Central Oregon, in the middle of farmland and 
Tomolo. Um, I'm the small axe to bring <laughs> down the big guys. So, yeah. How did that process come about? I mean, you, you left SoCal, the, the prime place for board building, and here we are, nowhere near the surf. Um, probably more belt buckles and flip flops. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, how did that decision come about? Um, well, you know, um, um, being a teacher, I have a lot of, and especially with the clientele that I work with. Yeah, those are my goats in the background. Okay, I, I keep on hearing something, but uh, that's my daughter's 4-H goats. Okay, so, so. goats, chickens, dogs, goats, and chicken, what else dogs. were we missing? Uh, that's kids. That's it. Okay, kids, it's all and, the farm animals and boards. Great. Yeah, got it. So, um, let's see. Um, I've always, I started teaching classes for COCC um, in teaching how to build wooden kayaks and canoes. And I had, and the reason I got into that is I was up once at one of our local lakes, Sparks Lakes, and this guy came up to me and asked me, he said, where did you get that canoe from? I said, oh, I built it. And he was just kind of blown away. And I said, yeah, you know, that's not hard. You just follow, you know, buy a book on it and you can, you can do it. And he's like, have you ever thought of teaching a class on this? And I said, ah, maybe, you know, I, I could do it. I go, I'm a teacher now, so... You know, it wouldn't be that hard, and it would be kind of my passion, so I could probably do it. And then he said, "You need to call the people at COCC and let them know what you, you know, what you do." And so I kind of gelled on that for about a year, and then finally I'm like, "Yeah, you know what?" I had a bunch of people asking me all the time, and I was kind of getting. Um, we have what we call parking lot syndrome: is you pull up in the parking lot with a wooden boat or a canoe or a board on top of your car. And you just plan to go for a quick, you know, hour surf or an hour paddle, and it takes you like three hours because an hour before people are asking you questions, you finally get out on the water, people are asking you questions there, you get off, you're trying to put your stuff away, and they're still asking you more questions, different people. Mm -hmm. I figured, you know what, I'm just going to have people start building boards here or building boats. And so I started teaching the class, and it would, um, there'd be a wait list every time. And I think I've had about 120 people go through the, the COCC classes. And, you know, there was just kind of a market for people wanting to build something, use their hands to actually build their own equipment. Just lost you there. Yeah, okay. no, it's just headphones. Okay. I, and um, once I, once I um, had them, um, you know, in a class, they would see, oh, I can do this. And then I would say about half of them have gone out and built their own, um, whether it be boards or canoes or kayaks so now you'll see a lot more wooden ones around um here in central oregon i was just out of the ppp yesterday and i'd be to walk up and down with the kayaks and i was like oh i know who's that one is i know who that one is yeah i taught that guy how to do that it's kind of kind of cool to see people out there using the stuff that they've built yeah i mentioned so. to you that uh that i when i saw that class offered i was on my to-do list mm -hmm. again and when you when you mentioned the wait list it it reminded triggered a memory that yeah i i did sign up for the i I did sign up for the class and was on the wait list, didn't get in, and then mm -hmm. the next time around, it just wasn't the right season. So mm -hmm. I'm glad I'm here talking to you now. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to try and get in one of your classes here pretty soon. Um, so I do offer classes now in the summertime. And so, um, so not just through COCC, now yeah, you're doing... Yeah, now I do it through the Eager Beaver Surf Co. Um, and I offer a week-long like building classes, so you can show up, you can build an entire board in a week, um, either a stand-up paddleboard or a longboard or a surfboard. And it's ready to be glassed. So then, but during the class, we actually glass a board. You know, while you're waiting for your glue to dry, um, like your wood glue, we can um, be glassing a board. So you feel totally confident that when the week's over, you can take your board home and glass it yourself, or you can leave it with me and I can do it for you. What about the person who has no woodworking experience? I have had people show up to my class that have never seen a hand plane, have no idea what it is, what it does. Um, I had uh, one gal seek me out. She's never built anything before in her life, and she really wanted to build a wooden surfboard. So I said, sure, come on out. We'll chat. We chatted. She's awesome. Next thing you know, she built an entire longboard, um, and she was pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing to see afterwards. It was totally done, and she was blown away that she built it. You know, there's something... There's a certain pride that comes with saying when someone says, where did you get that? And you can say, oh, I built it. Oh, yeah. You know, it's kind of a, and it actually really connects you to it. Um, I've had this discussion with quite a few people about when you build your own, say, stand-up paddleboard, you might be, you might just go for the same one-hour paddle, but it's a different paddle because you built it. So you're way more connected to that board and connected to the paddle and connected to the outside environment, everything you're doing. And so. Which is an interesting concept because I've, I've, I've 
shaped my own skateboard deck. I've built my own skateboard land uh-huh. paddle, like a land sup paddle. Uh-huh. I've built my own mash paddle, and uh-huh. and and just the tiny bit of pride I have in those super yeah. easy, simple projects. I can only imagine uh-huh. building a beautiful, beautiful wooden board. And the great part about it is anybody can do it. And if they make a mistake, everything's fixable. I mean, everything is fixable. I had years ago uh, when I taught at Terrebon, we did a, a middle school. Um, outdoor school up at Subtle Lake, and I brought a bunch of wooden kayaks up there, and mm-hmm. we'd you know go paddle on the lake and stuff. And I remember I let one student, who will remain nameless, Micah, um, <laughs> lash down my board or lash down my um, kayak, and it flew off my truck because we were coming back down, um, and it skidded across the highway. Um, I f- got a call the next day from the Oregon State Police saying, "Hey, we found a board in, or a, a boat, and it has your name on it." And I walked out to my truck, and I was like, ooh, my kayak is gone. So I went and picked it up from them. There was just a few scrapes and scratches on it, nothing that couldn't be fixed. Wow. And I learned, never let an eighth grader tell you, tell you that they know how to scrap on a kayak down. Without confirming. Yeah. Trust, but verify. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, what, okay, so wooden boards, wooden kayaks, we've all seen them. They're mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. What is the the value of those boards as far as just writing as opposed to a glass board, epoxy board, or foam boards, or what's what's the big difference? Well, a wooden holoco board um, is actually a fiberglass um, board. So they have a, a layer of fiberglass on them. Then I use epoxy. It's just way more environmentally friendly than, um, you know, vinyl ester, polyester resins. Um, they have a just a slightly different feel to them than a foam board. They're much more... It's hard to put it in words. I would say it's a bunch more solid feeling. They when you just do a bottom turn on, they just feel so much more. You just feel so much more connected to it. Is it would be like stiff and responsive? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They they actually they do have a little bit of flex to them, which is good. Where a foam board doesn't. I mean, once you have a foam board, it doesn't move at all. Hmm. Um, and these ones, they just they just feel. I don't know if buoyant's the right word. It just feels um, has a different feel to it. Is it would it be uh, uh, akin to just being a a uh, more sensitive extension of of your body? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could look at it like that. It's the board definitely does kind of take on a life of its own when it's out there, um, and you are definitely more connected to it. It. Um, some people have used the word warmer in the past, like when you're surfing. It's just a warmer feeling that you mm. get from it because as you're you know going up and down it is responding in a ways that a foam board doesn't. And so in other words, this is something that one really has to experience. Yes, definitely. And it would be, uh, it, it sounds like it'd be similar to, uh, I know it, uh, buying a road bike and when you ride a bunch of different road bikes, there's the carbon bikes that people describe those as being just a little bit mushy. And then, yes. uh, and then the, uh, the, uh, aluminum bikes are, are a little bit, stiffer and definitely is it the same type of concept same type of concept i mean i've gone out to the coast here in oregon and people see my wooden boards and they're like oh my god i'd love to try one of those i'm like go for it take it out and they're just blown away and i'm like yeah it's fine you know i can see your car i know where you yeah i'm gonna be sitting here watching it the whole time anyway so try it out they go out and surf come back on it, and they're just like that was amazing it was exact you know different than what i thought um most people are blown away when they pick them up they're actually um can be lighter sometimes than a foam board um, you know that board up there weighs four point seven five pounds. Wow! Well, and I'll get a picture of yeah. this for the for the blog as well. Yeah. It's so a, and so that looks like a uh, a, a fishtail six 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 swallowtail. Yeah, that's right, swallowtail. Excuse me, um, fish is something else, isn't yep. it? All right, it's beautiful board. We'll get a picture for that for sure. And yeah. it just happens to be resting right above a kilo of paddle from the and we'll. Yeah, a shameless plug for the Kealoa podcast. Oh no, episode. Dave, Dave and Meg are great. Um, back to that canoe project I did with the high school students. Um, I called up Meg and said, "Hey, is there any possible way you would donate some paddles for this project?" And she thought it was great. She was an ex middle school teacher, alternative ed, yeah. and she said, "No problem." Went down there, picked them up. Um, I have another product that I've just developed and um, have met with Kealoa on it, and they, um, I'm one of the few, I think, people where outside vendors where they've taken my product and put it on their website because they kind of believe in it. Um, Dave has given me some great advice on different things. The shop manager in Kealoa, John Irwin, he's awesome. He lets me 
come in there and pick his brain on all sorts of different things. Nice. So they've been a very great resource for me in starting my own business here in Central Oregon. But, and they're definitely, I mean, obviously a great resource, but, I mean, they're just good people. They're I mean, awesome, D- yes. D- Dave was a, a social worker, and she was a teacher, yeah. a special ed teacher, so yes. she'd, she'd like the underdog stories yes, as well. And, definitely. And, um, yeah, that's yeah. please listen to that, that podcast episode because yes. they're fantastic people mm-hmm. with a fantastic product. Um, and so recently with your, with your wooden boards, uh, you were featured, not, uh, not quite featured, but mentioned, 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 mentioned. yes, yeah, so let's say mentioned in outside magazine, uh, in reference to bend being the, mm-hmm. uh, the next, uh, big sup, uh, place to be. How has that panned out for you? You know, it's, it's, it's been all right. Um, I've gotten quite a few phone calls from it. Um, I've got a lot of people that are, you know, making inquiries, um, has it turned my world upside down? No, not yet. You know, I don't know how many, you know, viewers out there can take a week off to, or how many listeners out there can come out and, um, you know, take a week off to build a board and do some sort of camp. Or if they, you know, actually I have got quite a few calls of people wanting me to build them custom boards. And so now, you know, I have a list. Um, there's a wait list now, which is a good thing. Yeah. Um, so um, it's it's definitely helped. It's definitely helped. Um, anytime... You know, bank can get any kind of national or international, um, you know, kudos to it is great because this is an awesome city to live in. Yeah, especially especially if it's something that you're passionate about, and then having yeah. having a noteworthy entity mm-hmm. like Outside Magazine give you a nod, it's kind of a nice totally. thing. Yeah. Um, as far as the business goes, uh, where else do you have your boards? I mean, do you sell them retail? I do not. I sell everything. Um, I do all my boards on commission being a teacher you know that's my full-time job um this is more of a passion hobby job i call it that um would i want it to become a full-time job i don't know you know it's one of those things where i enjoy it so much i enjoy coming home from work um the kids i work with are you know it's kind of a stressful um all in game Mm -hmm. when you're there and i come home and sometimes i just want to come out to my little shaping shack here and spend an hour you know put on some music and just kind of chill out and you know put a strip on the side of a rail and you know, use a hand plane, sand something, do what I need to do, and then go inside, and then I'm totally calm for the rest of the day. So it's your therapy as well. Yes, definitely, definitely. And and, and so that does bring up a pretty good question, though. I mean, something like this. It, okay, you have turned this into a business, and mm-hmm. it is, uh, and it sounds like you are getting some traction. But if uh, if you did go to this full time, would this then become a job as opposed to a passion? You know, it's one of those things, too. Since it is a passion, it's something that I totally enjoy doing. Um, it's like teaching. I wake up every day, and I do not dread going into my classroom. I love the fact that I get to go and teach. But I also love summertime, you know, when it's I don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm not learning. I'm always figuring out different things to teach. And, you know, the summers, some of my summers might be spent, you know, on the beach surfing. But in between, I'm thinking about different lessons and, you know, writing stuff and you know, refining stuff all the time. So it's not like I, you know, put it away and do something completely different. Um, this is a full-time job. It could, it would work. I mean, I'm, I love working with wood and I love shaping boards and I love inspiring other people to build their own stuff. I mean, it's very rare. Um, I think I've said this before in the past that there's building either a stand-up paddle board or a surfboard or a canoe or a kayak is one of the few things you can do and build and you know use and use it to transport you places. Um, you know, you can't build a a plane. I guess you could build a plane, but you're going to have to rely on you know machine shop and an engine. You know, for the engine yeah. and different parts. You know, you can't build a bike anymore. You'd have to rely on you know derailers and um, brakes and stuff like that. You'd have to rely on somebody else to build those for you, unless you have a you know a metal CNC lathe and mm-hmm. machine milling stuff. Um, you know, it's something you can build with your hands and take off and go you know as far as you want with it so is it does it is it kind of a sense of freedom or pride or um, craftsmanship is all of that art, artistry of that. craftsmanship i mean there's not um there's not a lot of people that build anything anymore we've become such a like a i don't want to say materialistic throwaway culture where something breaks people just take it oh, i don't need it anymore well, they we, we kind of do live in an ikea society where yeah. you know building something is just assembling right Right, and um, you know that's that's actually in one of the woodshop classes I teach. I, I teach kids that they can build something completely, you know, at my school site. They build stuff that they're going to use later on in life, um, 
and you know they might build a small like stool or furniture mm-hmm. or something like that that they get to keep and leave with and know that they've done it and it didn't come from IKEA, it didn't come from Target, it didn't come from you know Costco or Walmart. Yeah. Um, and they you know they have they know if it breaks they know how to fix it mm-hmm. and they know it's built with solid materials. You know there's the you know you can spend more money up front and buy nicer stuff. And it'll last, you know, much, much longer than if you just buy something that's cheap. Well, and conceptually speaking, too, I, I see uh, at Sisters High School, there's a, a class on building guitars. Yeah. That's something you can do as a high school student is build your own guitars. Right. Yeah. Tony's phenomenal. out there is phenomenal. Yeah. Jason Bowerman helps out with that. Yeah. And I know them. And they're, they're, they're great. What they do with those students, you know, building guitars um, is, is amazing. And so those kids walk away with a sense... I mean, are are some of them after they build that? Are they going to go and become you know professional guitar builders? Probably not, but they'll always be connected to know I built something with my own two hands and it's mine mm-hmm. and I'm the one that created it, and the sense of pride that will go along with that. You know, their grandkids will be fighting over who gets you know granddad's guitar yeah, and well, stuff that, like that. that. Yeah, it's definitely a family heirloom, but but just seeing some of those kids that have built that guitar and, and there's uh, uh, one in mind that. Uh, that she she did a little she's very artsy and built a guitar she did a little um, a little tree with five birds that represented her family and it was mm-hmm. just intricate intricate mm-hmm. work it was beautiful and so, you know let's say that guitar got stolen or mm-hmm. destroyed somehow she still she still will have the confidence or the, just that 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 certain glow that mm-hmm. I did this mm-hmm. I know that I can do this yeah. And it almost seems like that's more valuable than than the product that she created. Yeah, I mean, the in-process, I mean, I tell this people all the time who, who have come and built boards with me. I'm like, you know, if you're, if you're, if it was really just about the money, go to Costco and buy a, you know, $500, you know, plastic board made in China, you know, glass by a Thai girl who's never seen the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one's probably going to die of cancer from all the toxic chemicals. It's way cheaper, and you'll you'll be able you'll be able to go out on the river and paddle it and have just as much fun. Well, maybe not. When you have built your own, it's that whole sense of you took something, you took some raw lumber, finished your entire board, built the entire thing, and then you walk away with your own product, and it's your craftsmanship. Or if you build it for somebody else, it's you know it's it's the time involved that sometimes is way more valuable. The time you spend building it is way more valuable than the actual board when it's done. You know, I've had, um, I've had like a, um, a father and a son build a board together. And when they did, it's like, wow, look at that. They built, actually, sorry, not a board. It was a kayak. They built a kayak together. And when they built it, it was, you know, they were having a hard time connecting. After they built that, it was like, whoa, you know what? They had to work together to do this. And they both took amounts, major amounts of pride in building this kayak together when they were done with it. Did it bring him closer? You know, I don't know if their relationship is good. I haven't talked to him. But I see that when they left there, they were both just, you know, glowing with pride that, hey, we did this together. So, Which is kind of an interesting concept that that uh, something as relatively mundane as building a board can transcend in different ways. Yeah, definitely. Um, so based on that, with, with all of your surfing, with all of your traveling, with all of your teaching board building, business, et cetera, what have been some of the sweetest moments of your life, marriage and, and birth of your children notwithstanding? Okay. Well, I was going to say, when I asked my wife to marry me in, on a Point Neuf bridge in, in Paris, and she said yes, and that was the greatest moment ever. And then my kids came along, and that was great, too. That yes. was phenomenal. So definite nod to the wife and kids. Definitely. But, yeah. Um, you know, every time I travel, I've, I've been to quite a few countries. People are amazed when I tell them, I think I'm on 62 different countries that I've traveled to. Wow. You know, both my parents, uh, my mom being English, going back and forth, we'd always go to England. Well, once you're in England, it's like traveling to a different state. You go over to France, you know, yeah. it's a quick, yeah. you know, hour ferry ride and boom, you're there. And then, you know, um, just going everywhere. I traveled all through the South Pacific, um, surfing, um, spent some time in New Zealand, Australia. Was this because of uh, your dad being in the army? No, actually, um, his terminal assignment was in Southern California. So mm-hmm. when he he retired from the military after twenty years, um, you know, we were there. I just have always had a love of travel. Um, I used to do some um, freelance photography work with a friend who would work for different companies and say, "Hey, I need some shots done here in Iceland. Come with me." Great, okay, and we'd you know jump on a plane and go and. 
Um, when I used to work in Long Beach, it was great. We had year-round schools. So I was a specialist teacher and could take off any time I wanted to because um, the school was going year-round, but I only had to work so many days. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I met my quota of days, I could either continue to work and they'd pay me more, or I could say, oh, I'm off for the next you know, two months or however it worked out. And so I could travel you know, whenever I wanted to, whatever shoulder seasons or whenever they needed me to go places. And it was great just to go off and, you know, oh, let's go to Spain and go, you know, photograph bullfights. Okay, sure. You know, and just and just go. Um, so. Have you done any traveling with your wife and children? Um, or was this all? Yeah, my, my wife and I, we actually, um, we've traveled quite extensively together, um, pre-kids. And then we had a, a deal when we got in, well, I met my wife at San Diego State in 1991. And we got married in 1997. I'm doing the math correctly. And then we had a deal of no kids for five years. Um, we mm-hmm. wanted to just be able to have fun and, you know, double income, no kids, and just yep. go off and enjoy life. And we did. We traveled, you know, quite extensively. She's been to quite a few countries with me. You know, I think she's up in the 30s, too, or somewhere around there. And um, kids, they've gone on a couple overseas trips. You know, we take... Um, a lot of camping road trips. You know, they've gone to probably every state in the western United States. Um, they've gone back east, you know, flying and stuff. Um, we just recently got back from Canada last summer. It was good. Nice. So uh, what have been some of the, the toughest times where you've really struggled? Um, God, this is going to sound sappy, but when I lost my dog, uh, my dog died. Of, he was my best friend. That was one of the toughest experiences I've ever had. I've never experienced grief in that way before. And it was kind of threw me for a loop for a while. How old were you when this happened? Um, this was uh, three, four years ago, which um, sounds you know totally weird to say, but I was like, I was a mess for you know two weeks. Um, you know, it's toughest struggles. I'm I'm an optimist. I'm a, you know always passionate about what I do, and I I can take the bad of anything and turn it into something good. So. Have I struggled? Sure. At what? I don't know. You know, I mean, there's little things that may be big things to other people. I just kind of brush off and just move along. Um, you know, the biggest thing would be that sometimes you got to accept that people will let you down. Um, that's a struggle that I have, and I hold people to really high expectations. And I hold my students to high expectations, too. And sometimes they do let you down, and you just have to deal with it and move on. You know, you can't be... You can't be everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the other biggest struggles I have is not enough time. I wish I had more time in a day. You know, if I could sleep for one hour a day, I would do it because oh, there's be so fantastic. much stuff I want to do and so many things I want to see and places I want to go. So, I think I feel the same way. Yeah, I, I get annoyed that I have to sleep. Yes, and thank God for espresso. Exactly. <laughs> My Keurig makers, you know, works every day. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, what What has uh, what are some of the tips that have uh, brought you the success that you've had in your life? Um, or brought you where you are? Yeah. I think one of the greatest ones was, you know, growing up in Southern California, surfing all the time, surfing contests, doing all that. Went down to college, surfed, you know, a bunch, did a bunch of stuff. And then um, went out surfing in um, Fiji and went to this little tiny island called Yunutha, and it was a place called Frigate's Pass. And I just happened to be going out there. Um, and I met this guy named Jim Banks, who was an ex, it was a pro surfer and an ex pro surfer. He was phenomenal. And he was really good. And he just dropped off the tour. He just said, I just want to just go find waves and I want to find the deepest barrels I can. And it, talking to him just changed something to, there's no point in surfing for points. It's just a surf, just to, just to get the feeling and have the travel and the search and the whole aspect of it. And to watch somebody like that who has dedicated his entire life to just, surfing or you know and he played guitar which something I still can't do to this day I wish I could but I can't Um, and it was just inspiring to to see somebody just kind of give everything up for just one thing and to be really good at it but then that one thing led to a whole bunch of other things that he opened his eyes you know he was like Mm -hmm. I never even knew that I could you know make these awesome photo albums or that I would you know be recording music here and doing this or that I'd be meeting these people and learning how to cook like this and I mean all these different things that you can do once you travel it kind of opens up your world interesting so. um, and, and so we talked about your reasons for moving and leaving Southern California and partly reason why you came to Central Oregon but 
with all of your travels, you've seen quite a bit of the world. Sounds like mm-hmm. half the countries in the world almost. Yep. Um, of all the places you could have chosen, why did you choose Central Oregon? Actually, it's um, fell upon Central Oregon. Um, I actually met somebody at a little surf camp in Fiji. Um, I just left um, Huntington Beach and uh, finished up college, went on this little kind of, as my wife calls it, the In Search of the Big Wave trip, and was sitting at a little place called Club Masa in Fiji. And these two guys come walking up with their you know, boards, and one of them was, was wearing a Huntington Beach beanie. And I was like, oh, I just traveled. You know, just was on this plane, you know, backpack. I got boards. I got board bags. And I, you're you trying know, to detox to, from SoCal. Trying to get away from it. And then uh, who shows up? And I start talking to the guys. They're like, oh, no, we're from Portland, Oregon. And I was like, okay, lumberjacks. You know, it's the first thing I thought of. They were wearing flannels, too. Yeah, so it was nice. like, okay, it's fitting. One of them had a beard. So I was like, okay. And then next thing you know, we start chatting. Next, um, we ended up spending a couple weeks together. They ended up down in New Zealand together. I ended up, you know, hooking up with them down there for a while. Um, spent some time traveling around, sleeping in a van, and afterwards we kept in touch. When they came back through, they you know flew in through through L.A. They looked me up. Um, we met. They came down to my wedding. We'd come up to Portland visit. You know our friendship was going you know super strong. And one of them got into got engaged to a gal from Bend, and he's like, oh, you guys have to come and check out Bend. And we said, okay. Let's go, you know. And next thing you know, we were in the car and pre kids, and just drove up here. And we're like, okay, this is it. This is this is the place to be because it, you know, we went climbing at Smith Rock, we went mountain biking on Phil's trails, um, river rafting on the Deschutes, fly fishing, you know, skiing, Mount Batcher, snowboarding. Next thing you know, it was like, okay, there's everything but surf here. Mm-hmm. Can we do this? And then we decided, yeah. I mean, it gets to the point too where you can only pull into so many perfect barrels. You know, in an exotic place, and then you come back home, and you're like, Huntington Beach. It's three to four, you know, or it's two to three with sloppy surf again, mm-hmm. and you miss those perfect, easy, beautiful barrels, and suddenly you're like, I gotta fight for this, and there's crowds in this, and it was almost a kind of a, just a, a wake up to say it's okay to move somewhere, and now when I go surfing, I'm probably out there enjoying it the most because I don't get to do it as much. You, know, you start taking it for granted, yeah. And then now I really enjoy it when I'm out there. When I think about, it, I, I ironically stopped surfing while I lived down in Newport and Huntington Beach. Mm-hmm. Just to, even on a bad day, there's a hundred guys out there, mm-hmm. and so yeah. on a good day, it's just packed. Yeah, to zoo. And you know, so you know, find something else to do. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, coming up here that uh, that I finally, t- ten years later, I started surfing again on the coast and. The coast was beautiful, and people mm-hmm. always say, "Well, what about the cold water?" Well, the wetsuits these days are phenomenal. Yes, yeah. I've been in forty-five degrees and completely cozy. Mm-hmm. People say, "Well, what about the sharks?" Sharks are everywhere, exactly, and they're nowhere. Don't yes. worry about it. Exactly. Your odds of getting hit bit by a shark—you'll win the lotto twice. You'll win the lotto the... twice and yeah. get struck by the lightning on yes. the same day. Yes, yes. totally. So, yeah, I so. mean, I've. And I've actually been out in the middle of you know places in Tonga surfing, and you see hammerheads, and you're like. Whoa, okay, it's time to get back on the boat. Less you know, than ideal. Yeah, and in, in, in perfect surf, too. And you're yeah. like, oh, that's not good. So, yeah. But, um, but, uh, but we make our choices. And I agree with you. There's everything here. It is. And yeah. if it's not right here, well, it's really close by. Yeah, I mean, my Including w- an airport. Yeah, my wife and I thought, oh, you know, we'd be making, once we moved here, we're like, oh, you know, we can, yeah, Portland's only three hours away. We'll drive there, you know, every four or six weeks, maybe every eight weeks just to go do something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, suddenly it was like, okay, the only reason we'd find ourselves driving over to Portland was because there was no Trader Joe's. And then Trader Joe's opened here. We're like, okay, we don't have to leave yeah. anymore. It has everything you need. I mean, there's nothing you can't get here. The biggest concern my wife and I had moving up to Central Oregon was uh, we pretty much had to write off good Mexican food unless we made it ourselves. Right. That was the hardest. But... There that's is changed. good, but there is good Mexican that's, food up that, here. That's changed. <laughs> that's yes. definitely changed. Yes, and that's you know discussing the beer. The beer yes. is phenomenal. Uh, how do you define and how do you live your good life? You know, I would define um, the good life as um, being able to choose and make your own choices as to who you hang out with and what you do. Um, you know how you how you look at life kind of might determine that um i've always been one to just you know enjoy the time with my family um we call it togetherness we just spend our time together um first and foremost we'll go out and do stuff together or 
Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to. I mean, I, I I look at my life and I think, God, do people actually really believe that I live this life? Because it's just so great. It's just everything is wonderful. I mean, I got two healthy kids, great dogs, a great house that I built. I'm out in the middle of the sticks. I live in Bend, Oregon. It's awesome. I mean, when you when you write it, when you write all this stuff down on paper, do you believe it? Uh, no, I don't. You know what I mean? It's like I almost feel like sometimes I was interviewed um, a while ago for um, for a story that someone was doing. And uh, the guy who was shooting the video of it was like, wow, you sound just like somebody my mom used to work with. You know, he goes, you know, I didn't believe all these stories and stuff of the places you've been and the stuff you've done and what you've seen and all this other stuff. And then he said, where did you work again? I said, oh, Terrebonne. He's, he's like, my mom was your principal. I'm like, so he goes, I have heard all these stories before. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of sounds like some of it's BS, but it's not. You know, It's kind of like, wow, you can choose to live your life any way you want. And if you just go out there and you know, do what you're really passionate about, it's your life. You can do it. And we, thank you for that perfect se- segue, by the way. But uh, what tips would you offer those people who, who are, are not living their perfect life? Because of the way you describe it, it's, describe it, it sounds so easy. It sounds like a no-brainer. It sounds like a doesn't everyone live this way? But not everyone does. They don't. Um, you know, I think the key to everything is um, looking at every opportunity you can take to learn something from it, um, and just be what we call in education a lifelong learner. I mean, just because you finish school doesn't mean you're done learning. There's so much more to to do. And if it's, you know, I've never I've never taken a yoga class, but I make yoga products. For people, just you know, I've I've just saw a need and I filled it. I never had manufactured anything before, and then I learned how to do a software program, and you know, built this entire product that has taken off. And it's I'm not even you know, um, it's just it's just because out of a passion, I wanted to learn how to do something. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of these days, I'm gonna like just say I want to learn how to play guitar, and I will pick one up and I will do what I can do to learn how to play it. You know, I can help you with that. That's cool. <laughs> but I'd also say, you know, just get out and enjoy life. There's so much fun stuff to do. Um, you know, Central Oregon has every sport imaginable. Um, you know, it'd be great if there was some, you know, more classical music here and stuff to, you know, concerts to go see. But it has everything mm-hmm. that you want to do. Um, and just get out and enjoy life. And I mean, take a class at a college just to, just to expand your horizons, you know, read books. And with other uh, interviews with the, with this podcast, a lot of discussions come up with getting out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, one thing that was really that I really enjoyed um, was when I moved up here. Um, I had a friend who worked at the school I did, and he said, "Oh, you should come whitewater rafting with us." Next thing you know, we're there. Um, he knew, you know, I was a waterman and stuff like that. And he goes, "Hey, we're short. Well, somebody guiding." He was a guide for a rafting company in Moppin. He's like, "Do you want to guide a boat down?" I'm like, "Sure, okay." Having never, having never, having no, I've rafted before, you okay. know, but I've never guided. Next thing you know, he's like, yeah, just here's what you do, just follow me, and it'll all work out. And next thing you know, I'm there. I was guiding everybody on the river, made through every rapid, had a blast. They offered me a job in the summertime. I was like, sweet, I'll do this, and I did that for a couple summers. And it was like, oh wait, a minute, I just went from becoming, you know, um, a you know teacher summers off, and now I'm a whitewater guide in the summertime, like. How cool is that? You yeah. know, something I've never done before and had an absolute blast doing it. So, and one of the things that I love that I've heard recently, there's a um, gal on the internet who's quite successful named Marie Forleo, um, and I've just started to uh, read some of her stuff. But one of her her lines that she says that I absolutely love and and uh, try to follow as best I can is, "Everything is figureoutable." Yeah, totally. And I think that there are. People out there that uh, would like to do something, but it seems so hard, seems mm-hmm. so difficult. Playing guitar, for example, mm-hmm. for some people, uh, I, I'm, if I had uh, a nickel for every time someone said, "Oh, I'm just, I just don't, mm-hmm. I just don't have that music gene." Well, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Come on, everyone has yeah something. something in there, and it's just whether you want to or not. Right. And you may not be the next Jimi Hendrix, totally, but it, that's not what it's about. It's just trying it. And that's the other thing, too. I mean, I was um, one of my favorite quotes is by Hemingway, and it's never mistake motion for action. You know, mm-hmm. you actually have to go out and do something. Just don't go through the motions of doing something. You actually go out and actually do something and actually do it with your whole heart and kind of move forward and, you know, have some action on whatever it is you're doing. That's so, a good quote. Yeah. That's a good quote. 
Uh, so, um, culminating this, uh, we have our rapid fire question series to help us understand what makes Greg Bridges who he is a little bit better. What is your favorite virtue? I would say fidelity to principles. I'm a very principled person, and I just kind of stick to whatever whatever I believe, and I just kind of um, you know follow them. I don't. I'm almost so stubborn that I won't ever waver in my principles. Hmm. And what is your favorite vice? Well, I homebrew, so homebrew beer. Well, That's good. We'll drink to that. Yeah, Here, this little <laughs> clink of the glasses. It's actually water drinking, but mm-hmm. you know, there, there's homebrew yeah. to, to be shared, I'm sure. What motivates you? Um, I would say my main motivation is just being an inspiration to my wife and kids to say, you know what, there's nothing you can't do. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't do something because you can do whatever it is you want. There's always somebody out there who um, will be an expert in whatever they do. And if you have your passion, you work long enough at it, you can become the expert in that field and people will pay you to learn how to do stuff. I mean, like with my boards, mm-hmm. you know, it started out just being a passion thing to build a wooden surfboard and mm-hmm. build several and then refine methods. And now, I mean, people pay me to build boards for them or teach them how to build boards or sell them a kit, you know, so they can build it themselves. I mean, I have a full line of products where they can build your own board at home, you know, with a manual and you can just do it. I mean, I would say that is what motivates me to do that. And then what frustrates you? Um, my biggest frustration is probably closed-minded people. People that will not try something different or just believe something because they've been told you can never do something. You know, I've always been an outgoing um, person who just wants to try different things and people who won't try and step out of their comfort zone. Hmm. Then what guides you? Um, I would say that providing the best kind of experience for my family, um, that togetherness that I you know, talked about earlier. It's something I just want to make sure that my kids feel totally secure with um, you know, their world and that they're willing to try stuff and my wife will willing to try anything you know, she wants and you know, we all can just kind of be together and kind of move forward as a group. And you know, when it comes down to it, it's, they're the most important things in my life is um, both, you know, both my kids and my wife. It's, we just want to move um, together forward as a, you know, as a family which is kind of what guides me. Everything I do, I think, you know, how can this help out my kids and my wife? Then what distracts you from that? Um, Central Oregon. (laughs) (laughs) There's just so much to do here. It's Uh like, you know, I was, I was just, as I was um, getting some stuff together for a pull pedal pedal the other day, I was like, okay, where did I put my PFD? Oh, that's right. It's with, with the box with my fly fishing gear and where's that it's underneath the camping gear which is under you know near this and i had to look through stuff to find you know my jacket because i haven't used it this year yet so it was like okay so there's so much to do here it's definitely nice to have a big garage or a separate shop for i have a, i have a gear room of just gear where there's mm-hmm. you know probably six bikes hanging in there which um, is separate from your shop which is separate, separate. from your homebrew yes. room and uh, yes 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 yeah. Yeah. so I, I understand. Yes. <laughs> uh, what inspires you? Um, raw wood. Just taking a piece of raw wood and seeing, you know, what can I, what can this be, you know, made from? Reusing something that you know nature's given us and create an awesome, you know, piece of furniture with it, an awesome board, a, you know, a poking stick for a fire, whatever it is you're using it for. It's hmm. something. And if you weren't a teacher or if you weren't a shaper, what other profession would you do? Um, I would be a professional photographer. Definitely. Travel the world and take images and capture those quick moments. Uh, it's still fun to this day. My wife has always complained that we have no videos of our kids, and I said, I don't need videos. I have tons of still shots. And, you know, I have thousands and thousands and thousands of slides in the roof of my barn. And now I even have more, you know, pictures just on a hard drive somewhere i gotta start printing those get them out there gotcha but, uh what is your single motivating purpose um i would say just to live the present just realize that you know today's a gift and 
and you know use it use whatever you can today just enjoy the time with you know friends family and that's what you know guides me on everything i do is how can i enjoy today how can i find my personal happiness today and uh what do you hope to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates hmm probably let's see thanks for fighting the good fight you did well you know the world's a little brighter because you were down there uh, a little shinier a little you know a bit more luster good job we hope uh, and so to, to cap everything off, uh, you shared with me some plans that you have coming up um, with your family. Would you like to expound on that for the audience? Yeah, you know. Um, Since we're talking about living the good life. Yeah, so eventually here, uh, my wife and I, we're probably going to get a large sailboat. And we're going to go take a couple years off and sail around the world. Uh, just expose my kids to, um, you know, the wonders of the world in a way that, you know, it's like having beachfront property. You can just move it whenever you want. Um, and just take some time off to, you know, really connect with each other and the world and see things from a different point of view. Because um, I definitely don't want to be stuck in the rat race of, you know, working 50 years and then retiring and then, you know, keeling over. I want to mm-hmm. enjoy whatever I do now and live in the present. And I think that's a great way to show, you know, um, yourself. I mean, most importantly, is that you and your family are enjoying it. But other people too that you can go out and you can do whatever you want. And just because someone says, you know, ooh, you're crazier, and you know, there was a recent story of um, the family down that had their boat and their young daughter got ill, and they, you know, had to sink their boat, and the army, uh, the navy, flew over and dropped some people down there, and they pulled them off the boat, and then they sunk it. Um, you know, people complained about that, and it's like, well, there's 99 out of 100 boats doing that same thing right now that didn't need that, and those families are having an up, you know, an epic time mm-hmm. enjoying their life and going out and seeing the world, and like the same people that are worried about sharks out on the coast. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen an, um, a shark in Oregon yet. Mm-hmm. I well, tell a lie. At the Newport Aquarium, there's a couple. Well, but yeah, you know, I've never seen one yet. So, but there are predictable patterns, so you you can take right. You know the the uh, what do you call it? A calculated risk. Totally. Um, and uh, with with all that, um, do you have anything else you'd like to say to the people listening and any other thoughts you'd like to part with? Um, get out there and learn. There's a huge world. and there's, Get out there and explore and you know, become a traveler and open your mind to different people and different cultures and different things. I mean, that's, it's, um, it's a great big world. Go enjoy it. And, and tell us uh, one last time how we can find you. Um, so the website is eagerbeaversurf.com if you go there. Um, or you can go to another one called paddleport.com. That's another um, way to get in touch with me. All my contact info is on there. Um, send me an email if you're interested in building a board or taking a class or buying a kit. It's all, it's all there. Great. Greg, thank you so much for uh, talking with us today and being part of the uh, Good Life uh, Central Oregon podcast family. And, um, and this is to all of you out there uh, for pursuing the good life by helping you pursue yours. Cool. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thank you. Thank you.